welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. So we're in our fourth part on our series on finding true rest. And in uh, in this week's sermon, I'm looking at something that is kind of an interesting cultural dynamic that is often at play within, within many of us. In theory, it kind of feels good to be needed, right? Like, you know, when you're a kid, like, whenever everybody's like, you got to be there, we need you on the team. Like, it, you, you like that generally. Or if your company tells you whenever you let them know that you're exploring another job offer, says, no, we need you. And it's really nice whenever they back that up with an increased salary. But it feels good. And, and in, in many ways, this idea of talking about being needed is used in a way that is nice. I mean, it feels good because a lot of times when we talk about like needing somebody, we, we're, what, what we're really saying is that, that we really appreciate what they have to offer. That they value you. Value what you can do. And so it's not necessarily bad to be needed. And, and it also does not feel good to be told that you are not needed. Like, if I took Aaron, for example, and I was like, listen, bro, like, I appreciate that you're here, but we don't need you. And you're not really needed here. But it's an open door policy, so you're welcome. I just, I, I, I pick on him just because we had that conversation an hour ago. But, like, the, the thing is, is <clears throat> it doesn't feel good often to be told that you're not needed. But the thing is, is, is that when the need or perception of need becomes real, it can be very exhausting, at times crushing, and even dangerous. I mean, we are a people that, that want to be needed, and it does, because it does tickle our fancy, this idea of being needed can be used to manipulate us and control us. I've seen and heard far too often people remaining within abusive relationships because after the abuse occurs, then the partner comes back apologizing and crying and saying, but I need you. I would be nothing, I would would be dead if it wasn't for you. And so then they stay in a harmful situation. 
or how often a man or woman finds themselves sacrificing their health, sacrificing their family, sacrificing so much because their boss just keeps telling them, we just need you. And if without you, we can't make this happen. And so then they end up destroying their family for the sake of fulfilling the fact that their company needs them. And then there's the fact that in the midst of it all, many of us have this really deep down need to be needed that leads into often very unhealthy relationships and situations because deep down you, you love having that feeling that everybody needs you. And the thing is, is there's also very legitimate circumstances where we are needed. We're limited creatures and we do need each other. But even though the situation or circumstance might be legit, it does not mean that it's not extremely tiring. Ask any parents that have an infant and small children. They are needed because if they abandon their duties, that baby will die. It's very legitimate and it's a beautiful thing. But if you've been a parent, it's also exhausting. Or someone who has a child with a horrible disease. Or parents that are on their last leg. Or a spouse that had a horrible, tragic accident. And they're deeply needed by that family member at the moment. It's very legitimate and it's a very beautiful thing to fulfill that need, but it doesn't mean that it's not exhausting. But see, the thing that I think is most particularly dangerous, that is soul-crushing, is whenever we allow some subtle bad theology to creep in. It's not theology that, there, that many would ever profess, and I'm sure most anybody here, it's not a theology that you would ever intellectually acknowledge, but it is a theology that I think creeps in subtly within our core because it is a theology that is born out of our, of our fallen nature. It's, it's a theology that somehow God needs us. And I can tell you, well, you actually... I don't need to tell you. Um, talk to Alex and Emily Morgan. A, a needy, like, eight-month-old baby is exhausting. Can you imagine a needy God? What that would do to you. And I, as I said, I think it is part of our fallen nature. If you notice, looking through the span of human history, when we as people create God's We always create gods that reflect us, and in reflecting us, they reflect some level of need. 
They need our sacrifices. They need our worship. They need our prayer. They need our service. Whatever it is, but they, they definitely need something from us. And it's, and it's quite brilliant because if you have a God that has some level of need, then we have at least some card to play to manipulate and control that God. I mean, I got, I, my, my family, my mom's side is, is, is Scandinavian, so I was obsessed with Vikings growing up. I love Norse mythology. And it, but it's just interesting, like within that theological system that was established, you have Odin the Great. But, his, but in, he, needed, he needed an army. Because he needed to gather together men in Valhalla so that then they could help him fight the battle of Ragnarok. Whatever that need may look like, the gods that we create always end up slightly needy. In our New Testament passage today, though Paul seems to be contrasting these pagan gods with the God of Scripture. As he's speaking in a bastion of refined pagan pluralism. And within this passage, we have a powerfully concise summary of what is conveyed in many different ways throughout all of Scripture. That God needs nothing. He does not need our service. He does not need our worship. He does not need anything from us. And so today I just want to take a moment to rest in that. And think and look particularly at the crushing weight of being needed and the refreshing good news that God does not need us. So first, the crushing weight of being needed. I'll read it again quickly, that summary that I was speaking of. And Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What Paul is summarizing so beautifully in this is what later theologians would refer to as the doctrine of God's aseity. Aseity literally is a fusion word that means of himselfness. God is fully sufficient and complete within himself and is not dependent or contingent or reliant upon anything outside of himself. And he, what Paul is doing is summarizing a great tradition throughout the Old Testament. Because God continually is reminding over and over again the people of Israel his aseity, his self-sufficiency, his of-himselfness. God will remind again and again the people of Israel that he, though he, though he um, commands their sacrifices and burnt offerings, that he doesn't need them. That God does not need their tithes because he owns everything in all of creation, including that tithe that you were withholding. He owns it all. He does not need their money. He does not need their worship. He does not need their service. 
And he also often reminds Israel as Israel began, would begin to become more, um, I guess, arrogant. Puffing up their significance. And he would point out, you guys do remember that when I chose you, you were nothing. You had no land. You had no influence. You weren't the brightest country. You weren't the biggest. You weren't the wealthiest. And you definitely weren't the most holy. I didn't choose you because I needed you. And hearing that might initially sound kind of harsh. But I think it's actually extremely liberating. And it frees us from the wearing, wearying weight that we too often entangle with calling, devotion, mission, ministry, what we call the Christian life. Because those things that are a beautiful calling that is placed upon us become a crushing weight when we begin to think that we were called because God needs us to accomplish whatever it is he's called us to do. I don't always share kind of stories from, from my own, my own life, but in the midst of this, I, this was a, a big one for me. So just, I want to share this, draws to mind something that was huge in my formation. If you don't know, back whenever I was in my mid and late 20s, I, I planted an inner city church in the east end of Pittsburgh, and a, a lower income community. And in that church, it was some beautiful things happened. The majority of the people within our church were not Christians. They had no Christian or church background. Many were dealing with systemic poverty, with, with, with cycle of generational abuse, with drug addiction. There were many who were always on that line of either identifying with the family of God or identifying with the street family that they had just walked away from. Everything was always felt like it was on a thread. And we we're trying to bring hope in a place that a lot of people, if you ask them, said that there ain't no hope. And while I was doing that ministry, I was also personally falling apart. And so God, in his grace, I was blessed to then get to participate in a ministry that was created to provide soul care for young ministers that are planting churches. So I found myself in a beautiful mountain cabin in the middle of the mountains of Colorado, surrounded by older men and Christian therapists and counselors. And while I was there, I was in the midst of kind of an, a mental and emotional breakdown. And I remember talking circles for about an hour or so until one of the counselors looked at me and said, Eric, shut up. You're exhausting me. But he actually used words that I can't use in the pulpit in describing, but you can picture what he said to me. And so I was shocked. And then he looked at me and he said, Eric, when are you going to get over yourself? He said, you're killing yourself. And I know you're hurting your family. And he said, if you really want to know what I think, he said, I think you may need to either step down or at least take a lengthy sabbatical. 
And then I started going on and on about how these people need me. How they all need me. And how that place needs the gospel. So I can't. And then I remember him looking at me and he said, you are right. They need Jesus. But you need to stop thinking that you're Jesus. Because they don't need you. And after that, it ticked me off. And I didn't listen to his advice. And then had a kind of emotional mental breakdown a year later. But then that conversation continually would come back to me. Just the thing is that all of us have a personal calling. A calling to live a life of devotion and prayer, to grow in the Lord. We all have ministry that He has given to us to do. And as a collective whole, as the church, we have an incredible mission. I mean, that's why we're planting Redeemer, not to build a new institution, not to try to be a bigger or better church in the community, but because there are far too many that have rejected Jesus and rejected a Christianity that Jesus would have rejected as well. That are separated from Christ and his church, but have not encountered his glory or do not have a clear understanding of the extent of his grace shown through the gospel. That's a phenomenal blessing and calling to be able to have that God decided that his glory and his gospel would go forth through his people, through his church. But that blessing can become a curse when we start tying the anxiety, stress, and the weight that comes with it when we begin feeling as if building Christ's church, the redemption of our family, the redemption of our wayward child, the redemption of our neighbors, the healing of the wounded that are around us, the broken, even the fixing of ourselves when we begin to think that it's dependent upon us and our ability and performance. See, the entire Christian walk, the dynamic in which we function within it, deeply changes when we begin to start thinking of Yahweh as Odin. That for some reason he's called us and redeemed us because he needs to build a great army. But instead of hanging out in Valhalla while beautiful Valkyries give us copious amounts of meat and roasted pork, we hang out in, in rooms and, and do Bible studies and prayer meetings. But the, the thing is, is, is we start to think that he needs to build an army of ministers so that then, then he can redeem our fallen world. That changes the dynamics of every aspect of our Christian walk when we don't see God in his aseity. The fact that God does not need you or I. He is not like Odin. Last week, talked about the exhaustion of playing God or taking on aspects of God's attributes upon ourselves. I would recommend the flip as well. There is great rest to be found reflecting on God's attributes. His omnipotence. 
his power, his ability to do all things, his self-sufficiency, his grace, his goodness, his sovereignty, his aseity. Because in that, when we realize the type of God that has called us, there is great rest to be found. So we have the crushing weight of being needed. And quickly, there's a refreshing good news that God does not need us. Because the thing is, is if you are called, if he has done what he has done to bring us into his church, that we would be brought into the mission that he has given. If he has done all of that, but he doesn't need us, then that means that he is doing so because he wants us. In John 3.16, the passage that we read in the gospel, a passage that is one of the most famous in the Bible, mainly because you have people constantly holding up signs at sporting events throughout the 90s with John 3.16 on it. And at some point in time, if you didn't grow up in the church like me, I looked it up and read it, and that was the only Bible verse I knew for quite a while. But in John 3.16, that famous passage... says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why did God pursue us? Why did God call us? Why are we part of his church? Why are we brought into his mission? Not because he needs us, but for God so loved the world. And we need to understand how John is using world here because the Greek word cosmos, that is translated world, is a very hard word to to pin down within Scripture because it's used in very different ways all throughout the New Testament. World can mean the globe, the world, God's physical creation. It can mean just all of humanity. It can also mean the fallen aspects of humanity. It can point to different things, but with Jesus' words, especially as recorded by John, world usually takes on a very negative connotation. In John 1.10, at the beginning, he said that the light has come into the world, but that world rejected and did not know him because that world prefers darkness. John 7.7, Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Or in fifteen eighteen, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that that is because it first hated me. It wasn't for God so loved the world because sunsets are beautiful and little bunnies are cute. That's not the world that he's talking about. It's God so loved the world that he sent his son not to condemn it, but to redeem it. The world that hates him. All of the ugly, all of the corruption, all of the perversion. See, God's motivation is that he loves us. And that we, and wants us, and we are called his beloved, not because of what we can offer, or because we are always so lovable. But God, because in his nature is love, will not let go of what we have corrupted because he wants it for himself because no matter how ugly we may have become he still wants us and he still loves us see the thing is 
is it is way better to be wanted than needed. I'll be straight up with you. Like, I know most of you are like this too. There are people in my life that are in my life only because I need them. If I didn't need them, I'd get as far away from them as I possibly could. It's kind of like the, the, the kid who, who's the first one in his class to turn 16. Then all of a sudden, everybody wants him at the parties, but they don't want him at the parties. They just need him because he's the only one with a car. I mean, if I went to Colleen and said, listen, I'm holding to my marital vows. I will never leave you because I need you. And I know that if I didn't have you, I mean, my life would be chaos and I'd be a wreck. Because I'm not really that good at cooking and cleaning for myself. And I'm really not that, you know, very stable as a bachelor. So I need you. So that's why I'm staying with you. That'd be an awkward Valentine's Day. No. No. It's far better to say, listen, I, I could, I'd be able to be okay without you, but I want you. It's far better to be wanted than needed. And the thing is, is when we recognize the attributes of God and the fact that we are not needed, but wanted, the Christian life, ministry, all those things take on a very different perspective and carry a very different way. And one of the things that is also important in that is that then it frees us in times of deep brokenness and exhaustion that it is okay to, to at times just stop and simply rest in God's presence. Because he did not call you to him because of what you can produce for him. He called you to him because he wants you. So then the question might arise, then does what we do matter? And I think it actually matters much more. Because in that God has called us to this work because he wants us. That means that in the work that we are called to do, it is not limited by what we can accomplish for God as if God is limited by what we can or cannot accomplish. So it takes on far greater significance. But also, what we do is magnified because what we do, we do so walking with God. A God that can do far more than you or I could ever imagine. A God that is only bringing us into the mission because he wants us with him. I think that's the genius behind the fact that if you look at all of the things that God has given us and called us to do, we are incapable of accomplishing any of them. He would give us work that we could accomplish if what he was, his concern was what we can produce. But if God's primary concern was that we might be brought into greater reliance and communion with him, then he's going to give us duties that we can't accomplish apart from him. So I want to close with another powerful image that was deeply meaningful to me. I've shared this before in sermons just because it, it, 
honestly, it preaches good, but it's, it, also, it meant a lot to me. I remember we were in, in, in the east end of Pittsburgh, and, and at that time, Judah was, like I think, like three years old. He was a lot smaller than he is right now. And uh, we were, I was, uh, you know, fixing up the house, and in front of the house there was a garden, but it was just completely overgrown, and it had, like, jagger bushes and everything in it, and there's rocks, and it was just really nasty. So I was trying to clean it out, and I saw Judah, little three-year-old Judah, standing over there watching me, and I was like, hey, buddy, can you come help me? Now... I didn't ask three-year-old Judah to come help me because I deeply needed the help of a three-year-old. Honestly, he didn't accomplish a whole lot. But in the midst of it, he continually kept calling me over because there's that big rock, you know, like the five-pound rock that he can't get. So I have to come over and help him get that rock, you know? But he was having a blast nonetheless. Could you imagine how different, you know, his joy and he's just having a fun time, you know, working in the garden with daddy. Could you imagine how different that would have been if little three-year-old Judah thought that his dad, his family needs him to clean up this garden? Because if, if he doesn't succeed in cleaning this garden, then the front of the house will go into disarray. And then if it goes into disarray, then they'll probably lose the house and then we're going to be homeless. So, you know, like, I don't, it's a lot of stress for a three-year-old, but could you imagine that? Or, or if he thought in his mind that dad asked me to do this because dad, dad can't do it without me. So I better make sure I do this so I can, I can prove myself and appease my father so that I can show my daddy that I am of value to this family. It really changed the dynamic of that time in the garden with dad. And I'll tell you another thing, it's no offense to Judah, I mean, that was when he was three, but he really slowed things down a lot. And he messed things up. Like, I would have gotten the garden done way faster if it wasn't for Judah helping me. And I remember at one point, like, I was, was, we're getting rocks out. And I was stacking rocks. And I told Judah, hey, hey buddy, just help, let's help me get the rocks out. Well, he found a stack of rocks and then took those rocks and started putting them back in the garden. Because he thought he was helping but that makes me think of the fact that God has chosen that it is through his church that his mission of redemption was going to work and accomplish. And if you know anything about church history, we have made things harder and jacked things up more often than not. In my mind, I don't know necessarily why God chose to do it the way he did, but I am certain that if he decided to him, himself just do the mission and accomplish the redemption and not bring us into it, that it probably would have been more efficient and happened more quickly than having us <laughs> have to be part of it. But even in the midst of all of that, I was so delighted to have my little buddy working with me. Working in the garden. And he was so happy 
And he was working with such great joy because he was hanging out working with his daddy. I remember later on, as I was frantically struggling to try to establish a church in this inner city context, and I remember God bringing that, that Saturday afternoon to mind, and it just felt like he said to me, he said, Eric, what you're doing right now is like three-year-old Judah helping you in the garden. See, the thing is, you and I are not needed. But we are deeply loved and wanted. So much so that Jesus endured the shame, the torment, and death upon the cross, not so that he can build an army of ministers, but that we might be restored to right relationship with God and may be with him from this point unto eternity. And as a Christian, if you are a Christian, we have all been called by God and each given ministry and calling of great significance that are also impossible for us to fulfill. Because his calling is not because he needs us, but because he wants us. He wants his beloved little children with him as he redeems and restores his garden so that we might do the work and fulfill the calling placed on us filled with great rest, delight, and joy because we are working the garden with our Father and know that our Father fully is fully capable without us but simply wants us by his side pulling up the jagger bushes and digging up the rocks. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue.